Hey, good morning, Nashville. This is the Money Man Mike Show here on Talk Radio 98.3 and 1510 WLAC, where we discuss all the current market trends and important topics that you need to know before you buy or sell or refinance your home. I'm your host, Michael Thayer with the Federal Savings Bank. I'm MLS licensed, and my license number is 173264. Joining me in studio today for another great show, we have Mr. Chris Corbeau from Midtown Title. How are you, sir? Fantastic. How are you this Outst- morning, Michael? Outstanding, man. Outstanding, man. Gearing up for a f- busy few weeks here in the uh, Middle Tennessee area? Outst- man, it's springtime, man. It's just it's hopping right now. Got some hockey time. Oh, we definitely have some hockey time going on, man. Got some NFL draft coming. NFL draft. I uh, got houses selling. We got houses selling. What we else? Got marathon. Marathon. We got the CMA stuffs coming up. Gosh, what else is coming up? You name it, man. The city is just rocking out. Yeah, and it rolls right into summer and just. Man, it is so busy in the real estate market right now. It's insane. It just. It. it I mean, even though some of the numbers say it's slowing up a little bit, but it doesn't feel like it's slowed up any. I was in Virginia last week for a few days for a work conference, and I was kind of surprised seeing there was a lot of for sale signs and there was a lot of vacancy in a lot of commercial space. And some of the rent they were posting was uh, unbelievably low. You know, like store frontage for like four or five hundred dollars a month, and four or five hundred bucks? bucks a month. Um, and I was walking with a peer. Uh, we were at this conference, and I was just like. We're pretty darn lucky to live in a city like Nashville. I mean, I, whatever you want to say, we're lucky or unlucky. I don't know what it is, but um, you know, our economy here is just much, it's much different. We live in this bubble mm-hmm. of of greatness. I'm about to say a good bubble uh, called Nashville, mm-hmm. and you know where where you can work and make a living and and live and get a house and mm-hmm. do all this stuff. And But, you know, there are other parts of the world, I think, that aren't as fortunate as we are. And uh, it would definitely open my eyes, eyes a little bit to that. I mean, that's that's a cool perspective on things and, uh, you know, a, a very different perspective on things because a lot of times people think about Nashville in a totally different light and they think all the negatives and it's this or that and whatever and you know they just see the glasses as half empty but really man it's it's half full or or really it's full because we do have that isolation we do have that bubble and there's all these great things that are going on here and there's all the these great advantages that bring these companies here and the everyone's relocating here the tax basis here is so much lower than these other companies or other uh, uh, uh states and that's why you're seeing all these companies relocate here. And, I mean, just these people are constantly relocating here. I mean, it's just – it's it's awesome and it's, and it's just growing our area, you know, enormously. But at the same time, you know, we got some downside with that that comes with traffic and traffic. congestion and everything else. And you got to take the good with the bad. But at the same time – Affordability for housing. Yeah. But, I mean, what, what would you rather have that or stagnant – you know, negative, you know, negative growth or, you know, depreciation and stuff you know, that comes with some of these other areas that don't have all those positive things going on. What would you rather have? Well, I think I much prefer to have a uh, be working in a industry that's doing very well and then going to visit areas maybe that aren't doing as well. Because yeah. I, I feel a whole lot better about myself when I'm able to uh, go to those areas and, and it puts a fresh perspective on the appreciation for how how good things how good we have it here yeah. 
And so, you know, it was just kind of an eye-opening experience for me, one that I wanted to share and just say, hey, you know, we've become – we got blinders on at times, I think, around here. What's the saying? You don't appreciate what you have until it's gone? Yeah, well, yeah, something like something that. Like, yeah. So, But, I mean, there's parts of Tennessee that are kind of – that are still kind of feeling this. And so, you know, I, I think people in middle, middle Tennessee don't feel it, but I think there's a lot of a lot of folks that are kind of feeling one thing or another that, that you know, may not be as positive as that, right. that, we, that we're lucky enough to have here. Yeah, I mean, Nashville's definitely got something special. It's got its own little vibe, and people come here, and they they just don't want to leave. And I mean, you know, us native Nashvilleians, we're like, all right, it's it's cool to come here, spend your money, have fun. But man, everyone just keeps on re- relocating and coming here more and more each and every day, a hundred people a day. But at the same time, man, people come here, and they want to stay. Yeah, we've been gearing up, thinking that you know we've we've talked about the with the rates and you know maybe with the economy changing and a correction in this market. And I'm here to tell you there there is no correction in my <laughs> office right now. I mean, we, we are closing loans in houses as fast as we can, yeah. and and sometimes faster than we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there is just such as enormous demand for housing still. And you know, do I think pricing still change? Yeah, I do. I think we'll go, yeah. we're going to get into that a little bit yeah. more um, as we go. But I mean, there is a demand for housing in this city, and so if you're, I've got several people in my office that are out looking in our are kind of struggling. That are looking for a certain price point too, mm-hmm. and and the, and the lower that price point comes, the harder it is to yes. find that yes. um, bidding wars. Uh, you know, house. You know, three hundred dollars a square foot for some of the, you know some of these houses mm-hmm. that I would be like, uh, <laughs> I am not living there. Not for three hundred square foot. Not for or three hundred dollars a square <laughs> right, foot. Exactly. And, they're like, and they're like eight hundred square feet, and yeah. it's like I think my shed's bigger than yeah. that. <laughs> but that's just the reality of the market that we live mm-hmm. in, and there's been talk about that environment changing in our industry. Yeah, you know, that's not micro housing, but just people's expectation of the three bedroom, two bath, two yeah. car garage, white picket fence, yeah. all these things that you typically hear about. Uh, you know, it's changing in our city, and, and and those things are harder and harder to find. Yeah, I mean, if you're new to the market and you're just trying to figure out how to get into it as a new millennial or whatever you are. Regardless what generation it is you you come from, it's just it's it's eye opening to get out there because if you've never owned and you've been a renter for your entire life, it can be scary. Well, that's what eventually pushes people to the suburbs, you know, whether that's Madison or or, or north of town or it could be Shelbyville. It could now. I mean, it, yeah, I mean that's what kind of drives people to the suburbs because mm-hmm. of the square footage. Even though so many people want to be close to downtown and, and get out of the commutes and yeah. and get out of the traffic, or to just enjoy what Nashville has to offer as a community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just some people we we've been talking about. You know, it used to be three, four, five years ago. You're looking in the Hendersonvilles, the Mount Juliets, uh, the Lavernes, the Murfreesboro's, you know, stuff like that. Um, now it's it's literally the 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 White Houses, the the Lebanons, the the Christianas, the the further. I mean, you're going further out. You're going to Dixons. You're going to Clarksville. I mean, you're going further and further out to get get away to get into that more affordable area. But that's you know what people are looking for is to get into that price range that they want. You know the medium housing price in Nashville is around three hundred thousand, but that's we'll, we'll catch you this on the backside. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, we got up against this break. You've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on Talk Radio ninety eight point three and fifteen ten WLAC. We'll pick this up along with ten steps to buying a home. We'll walk you through that as well. We'll be right back. 
Hey, welcome back to the Money Man Mike Show here on Talk Radio 98.3 and 1510 WLAC, where we talk all things real estate. I'm your host, Michael Thayer, in studio. We've been talking with Chris Corbeau from Midtown Title. And before the break, Chris was about to talk about the median price here in Nashville. And you were saying the median price is what, around 300000 Yeah, it's pushing three hundred. It's still under three hundred, I believe, no, but I it's believe still so. pushing in the 290s, which, you know, even a standard payment on a standard rate is still pushing $1,600, And, I mean, that's a, that's a humongous yeah. payment for people who are trying to afford that. So when you think, oh, it's in the 200s, it's great. But that's still a very, very large mm-hmm. payment. Yep. And so what's kind of doing is pushing people. I keep saying that there's people in my office that are kind of looking for housing um, in this price point, and it's you know the, the market kind of steers them towards multifamily housing, yeah, absolutely. you know, apartment style living, which it's whether a condo or townhome or, or or something along those lines. And you know, a lot of people still want that yard. They may have pets that they want to walk their yard in, or they just want the privacy and not that. But you know, the Nashville. It's that urban market that we have yeah. now where it's transitioning to – That's what, if you go to New York City, I mean, we're, I'm not comparing Nashville to New York, but I'm just using that as a major metropolitan area. You don't you, – it's hard to go downtown New York and find a house on a street there is with a, a yard and yeah. a garage and all that. I mean, it just, does, it just doesn't happen. And, uh-huh. and, and as our city continues to grow, it's kind of a byproduct of that is that people have to reconsider what their housing options are. It it almost becomes more that concrete jungle in some regards where it's just, oh sure it's the the sub I mean literally if you want that yard you're going out to the burbs you're going to the suburbs to do it or you're buying the eight hundred square foot house at three hundred dollars a square mm-hmm. foot that you know that may have a yard but it's just tea tiny and yeah. and so it's just uh, resetting those expectations for for buyers absolutely you know and talking about setting your expectations a lot of people if you're just starting to get into the the home buying you know, process or you've never bought a home period, or let's say it's been a long time since you bought, you know, a lot of people don't realize what, what do you need to do? So we put together some simple steps just to go through and just provide you with some sort of like road path, if you will, or yellow brick road, because for Chris and I and everyone else on the show, we sometimes take it for granted or overlook it. The basic steps that you go through, you should go through as a consumer to buy a house because we do it every day. But for everyone listening to the show or listening online, you might not know every step that you need to go through. So the very first step you need to look at is saving your down payment. You know, not you know, we've talked about on the show before that we do have programs that will allow zero down uh zero down payments, but at the same time, the more down payment you have, the more options you have as well. But uh Having some sort of down payment or money for closing costs is always a, a good option for you. Or reserves. Or reserves, yes, exactly. And the, and if you, even if you don't have a – let's say you have a VA qualification or you have a, a first-time home buyer loan, you're going to want to do things to the house. So you're going to need money reserves for, You know, once you buy that house. You're going to need furniture. There's going to be a lot of things you're going to need money for once you do buy the house. I mean, there's people in my office, you know, I keep saying, going back to this, who are buying that automatically think they have to put 20% down. You know, oh, yeah. well, I got to save up 20%. And no. I'm going, what? What? No. We close hundreds of loans a month, every you day. know, every day that don't, ha- people don't have 20% down. Exactly. You know, and it's just because they're working through it, they don't pay any attention to right. it. But but I'm going, you you got to figure out what you can afford. Exactly. And you got to figure out what payment you're looking at and, and how much you want to put down, how much you have to put down. True. Absolutely. Number two, know your credit score. Your credit score dictates everything. 
And when I say everything, I mean everything. It will determine whether you're in a conventional loan, FHA loan, the whole nine yards. And I'm not going to get into what conventional versus FHA means because it's just like your – think of your credit score like your fingerprint. Your fingerprint is – unique to you and your credit score is almost that unique to your financial um, individual person as well. So your credit score is very, very critical to dictating what you qualify for, how you how your loan set up, combine that with your down payment and then along with your income and you start to build what you qualify for and so forth. So your credit score is crucial. So knowing what your credit score is and a lot of people are hesitant to have their credit score pulled before they start looking for a home. You need to have your credit pulled at least six to nine months before you get serious about it because if there's a blemish on your credit, you at least have time to fix it. There may be some stupid medical collection out there from a, a copay at a doctor's, a doctor's office that you didn't pay or you thought you paid, yet they've reported you to collections and it's dropped your, your score 50 to 100 points. You don't need that showing up. 30 days before you're trying to apply for a mortgage. You need time to be, to be able to get stuff like that fixed if it's out there. Yeah, isn't there um, – there's multi-levels to credit scores, multi, multi-tiers for credit scoring in the mortgage business, and it depends on where your score is, is what kind of rate you're going to get. Yeah, there's what's called uh, loan-level pricing adjustments. And if you're going – I don't want to get too far deep into this, but 740 is kind of the benchmark – now, we get people approved with 580 scores all day long as well, but 740 is kind of the benchmark. And depending on what kind of loan program you're qualifying for, every 20 points below that 720, I mean at 740, you start to get dinged with your rates and everything else. So if you got a 720, you're going to pay a slightly higher rate. If you got a 700, you're going to pay a slightly higher rate than someone with a 740 and so forth, depending yeah, so, on the loan program. So even if you think you know your credit score, it's, it's, it's imperative to get it. Get an accurate absolutely uh, description, uh, depiction of what that score is, so you can figure out what you can and can't afford. Yes. Okay. Number three, find a real estate agent. Um, you need to find somebody that you mesh well with, that you work well with, that you have similar. You know, just you, you just you just you just have a good vibe with. Yeah, I tell people all the time, you know, everybody, I think most people know somebody that's in the real estate business, whether it's a family member or somebody you go to church with or somebody you work with or whatever. And, and, you know, I always tell people, if you don't know what kind of agent that person is, interview them. It doesn't cost you a dime to sit down and talk with them and and make sure that, A, that you feel comfortable. This is going to be your biggest purchase you're ever going to make. And I know that gets talked about all the time, but it is. You know, can that person negotiate for you? Are they going to be – are they going to advocate for you? Do they really know what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they going to just – you know, send you to whatever house so they can try to get a commission. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things you have to consider when you're interviewing a real estate agent and understand that this person's going to be going to bat for you mm-hmm. and that you're going to be paying for the next 30 years on what these people negotiate. Yeah. So do I want a strong negotiator who understands this market, can figure out what a house is really worth and get me the best deal I can? Darn right. Heck yeah. And you know, a lot, I hear a lot of times people say, hey, you know, my, my aunt or my uncle or my cousin – you know they they've got the real estate license and they need help getting started or whatever you know that's that's great and I'm all about trying to help a family member with stuff like that but you've also got to take into consideration what Chris just said of how seasoned how experienced how I mean how much 
knowledge do they really have to go up against somebody that's been the, in the business for 10 to 15, 20 years to negotiate in your behalf to save you or to get you an extra 10, 15, 20, $30,000 on this transaction? What's, what's that worth to you? Yeah, if I'm an inexperienced agent and I'm working with an experienced agent, oh, you, can tell. you think they're going to give you tips and no. t- tips on how to get the best deal you can? No, they're advocating for their client, yeah. so they're going to be trying to get their client the best deal possible. So, yes, as much as you want to help your your family members or people you go to church with or your coworkers who do this, uh, you know, you just can't put that the chance. You no. you really have to uh, get the best person available for the job and for you that's going to work for you. And so, like I said, I would interview several different agents. If you if you like your family member that's doing it, interview them. But inter- call somebody else that you that you know of or, or read in the papers or see and, and compare. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number four, get pre-approved. And that kind of goes back to knowing your credit score, uh, your down payment and so forth. Know what you're pre-approved for so that you know that you're shopping for. Uh, a house in the proper price range, you know what your payment's going to be, so you're not going to have any kind of payment shock, and that all the numbers are going to line up so that when you do find that right house, there's not any anxiety or concerns. Can I afford it? Can I not afford it? Do I have enough down payment? How's it, you know, how's this all going to work out? You know before you go in and put an offer on it that, yep, this is good. I can make this work. Hey, we got to jump out to a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to finish with uh, the rest of our top 10 list here of the top 10 steps for buying a home. You've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on 98.3 and 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Money Man Mike Show here on Talk Radio 98.3 and 1510 WAC, where we talk all things real estate. I'm your host, Michael Thayer, and in studio we have Chris Corvo from Midtown Title. We're talking about the top 10 steps for buying a home. I'm and- ready, man. Ready to buy a house. No, actually, I got four. What four more steps to go? Five more to go? Six more to go. Six more, and I'm going to be ready. You're going to be ready, man. Okay. What you got? Uh, number. And we're going to go through these last six pretty quick because it's pretty easy from here. Uh, the recap, real quick. Number one, save your down payment. Two, know your credit scores. Three, find a uh, real estate agent, as Chris was saying. Interview them. Four, get pre-approved. Number five, go home shopping, which kind of ties in with what we're already discussing. Go home shopping. You know the price point you need to be in so you don't go fall in love with a house that's over uh, too much out of your price range. Number six, make an offer. Make an offer. Your real estate agent is going to help you with that. They're going to guide you through that whole process and help you understand where you make an offer at, how you make an offer, and that whole process. Yeah, because we're just in a market where there's not 30% discounts on houses. No. no. So if you see a house that's that's way out of your price range, and you're like, man, I, I'm I'm going to offer. You know, people Low watch ball ha- it? No. Yeah, people watch House Hunters, and it's like, no. this $400,000 house, I'm going to offer $300,000. Uh, you probably won't even get a response here. Eh, rejected. So Yeah, th- that's not this market. Go back and listen to segment one where we're talking about how everybody wants to come to Nashville and it, how the appreciation and everything, It's, it's you're just not going to get a house that that far below market value here. Number seven. Once you get a house under contract, get a home inspector. Even if you have a new, brand new, built home. Oh, I hear that every day of my life. It's a new house. I don't need a home inspection. You're crazy. Why not? The the subcontractors still miss stuff. They're human. Substantial they make stu- Substantial stuff. Yeah. And so get it done ahead of time. Yes, the builder provides a warranty. So? But that being said, if there's something major, substantial, you want it done beforehand. You move in. 
you move in, not after hand. Exactly. I mean, I have seen home inspections on new homes where they've had to go in and sure up foundations. Yes. Where they've had to increase the tonnage on AC units mm-hmm. because the AC unit, they maybe the people built out a, an attic area or added on, and the, and the AC that comes standard, the standard AC it's that comes order. with the builder, yeah. is not enough. Yeah. Um, to to do that, maybe there's some roofing that's not right or or, or something. I mean. People are human. Yep. The houses are built by human beings. Yep. Things so get missed. Don't assume it's new. It's like buying a new car. If you buy a new car, is it going to work 100% right every time? No. You, you drive the new car, right? You drive the new car. How many times you got to take it? People take new cars to the shop because something's not working right. 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 Same thing. It's the exact same thing. Get a home inspection. It costs, what, a whole whopping? Four or 500 bucks. It's worth the money. Get a home inspection regardless if it's a new home. If it's an existing home, get a home inspection. I had a client not too long ago. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but ended up de- built a brand new house, and it was probably six or seven hundred thousand, so quite expensive. Mm-hmm. But all the problems they ended up having on, they had to sue the builder, and the house had over a hundred thousand dollars worth of repairs that needed to wow. be done, and. They got the builder to pay some of them, but they had to sue the builder, and they had to live in it for <laughs> close to three years before they finally got through. So they were paying lawyer fees yep. to get through that, and they finally got enough what they felt was adequate enough to fix it, um, which they still had to pump their own money into it. And mm-hmm. then they ended up moving to another house and selling it. Get a home inspection before you move in. Get a home inspection before <laughs> you move in. It's not worth it. You're excited. You're ready to get into your new home. It smells Don't, pretty. It yes. looks new, shiny. Yes. Don't let the excitement – just run you ragged and put blinders on and, and avoid the obvious. Um, get a home appraisal. You really don't have much of an option here if you buy if you have a mortgage on it. You've got to have a, an appraisal on a house. If you're Unless paying, you're paying cash. Yeah, if you're paying cash, then it is what it is, and then you, you, you make your own determination there. But get a home appraisal. Um, one thing that we always see with appraisals is if you've got a purchase contract – um, not if you will have a purchase contract, obviously. Um, if it says you're buying a house for four hundred thousand and it comes back appraised for four hundred thousand, don't freak out over that. Even if the house is worth four fifty, it it doesn't matter if the house appraises for a million bucks. It doesn't help you from a financing point of view. And I have a lot of people that say, well, this house should have appraised for six hundred thousand, but they're paying five fifty for it, and then appraised for five fifty, and it's like. Uh, yeah, it appraised for what you paid for it. If it yeah. didn't appraise for that, you would have already been told that. Well, I, you know, I thought it'd be worth more than that. Yeah, it, it, it you open up Pandora's box and you get into all sorts of different things and appraisal grids and numbers and all this other crap you don't want to get into. As long as it appraises for your purchase price, you should be happy. That's what you need to be happy with, exactly. And also a little disclaimer there. Uh, you're, you're, well, we, we'll save that for a different thing because that's going to get us way off into the box. We'll well, we, all, we all want a house that's worth more than we paid for it. We want to tell everybody we got a great deal yes, on the house. you want to always feel that yeah, way. No, you always want to feel that way. But ultimately, you agreed to pay X number of dollars for the house, and as long as the value comes in to justify that, exactly. then that's all that's required. Exactly. Close the sale. Get the sale closed. Go see Chris at Midtown Title. Sign the papers. Speaking of signing the papers... Uh, we're actually piloting a fully blown electronic e-signing program with you guys, I think. Actually, I don't think we've set up with you guys, but we're about to. I know you were talking about e-signing closings. Well, yeah, I was actually uh, with Trousat in Virginia last week was learning about that. Come July, we our electronic notaries will yeah. – will, the law will go into effect. Um, 
you know, it's it's still a slow process, and it's more of a hybrid cl- type closing right, right now that people are seeing. And what I mean by that is that some of the documents are done on on electronic signature, right. but some still have original signatures. No, nope. um, you know, part of the problem is there's not a lot of case law out there yeah, right now yeah. that supports the validity of this stuff. And even though our state law enacts that, and I think a lot of lenders are slightly gun shy to be the pioneer <laughs> of uh, whether or not their note or deed of trust is in, is enforceable on an electronic signature, but you know, it's just going to become the norm. It's going to be more and more. Yeah. And, and I'm excited to do that with you guys because there's more lenders that are going going to that. Industries, I mean, the world's going to that electronic format. I mean, the mortgage, the mortgage and real estate industry as a whole is it's a natural progression. Yeah, exactly. So close the sale, um, and then ten move in. But again, do not let your excitement and all the just just the emotions run control over you or have control over you to where they can make judge your cloud your your judgment or yeah cut it, corners yeah i mean don't 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 let don't keep it as a business decision is what i guess what i'm trying to say here you know don't don't let it cloud your judgment of keep it black and white and make sure you get that home inspection. You get make sure your appraisal's done right. Make sure you do everything like you're supposed to. And if it is, then you're going to get moved in. And when you're moved in, you're going to be happy. You're not going to have any anxiety. You're not going to have to go back and fix anything. You're going to have to worry about this, worry about that. You're going to be able to sit down, move in, relax, be unpacked, and enjoy your new home. Yeah, if you trust your agent and they're telling you to not offer X dollars for the house because it's not worth it, then I would tell you to not let your emotions get in the way of no. that. There's a reason that they're telling you to not offer that. And, if they, and they have data supporting why you should only offer a certain amount yes. on a piece of property to make sure you're not overpaying. Because that's when people get in trouble. Are people still bidding or offering you. more than sales prices above listing? Yes, yep. that happens yep. every single day in this town. Uh, people are doing it because why? They either A, love the house, B, they need somewhere to go, um, or they just simply want the house. But just think about that. You know, What if it's 5000 over listing or ten thousand over listing, you're paying ten thousand dollars more than the people are willing to sell it for you. Mm-hmm. You know how long it takes to pay off ten thousand dollars on a mortgage? Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. Yeah, yeah. So just be, you know, I understand that that's sometimes what you may just have to do, but just be careful when you think about doing that in in just the consequences of paying more. Yeah, and it's we have a saying in this business, at least I do, of. When some when one deal seems to fall apart or it doesn't seem to work out, there's always another deal that comes around the corner, and it's it, it's funny how it always seems to work out for the better. It's either a better house, it's price priceless, um, it's a better location. There's something about it that's better. Don't force it. You don't try to shove a, a round peg through a square hole. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and it'll all come together in its own due time. Uh, we got to jump out to another break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about seven things to avoid um, when you're applying for a mortgage. All right, so we got the ten things of how to buy a house, and now we got the seven things you better avoid. Yeah, I like you, it. You do not need to do these seven things when applying for a mortgage because if you do, you're going to jeopardize your approval. I assure you that. Been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here at ninety-eight point three and fifteen ten WIC. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Money Man Mike Show here on Talk Radio 98.3 and 1510 WLAC, where we talk all things real estate. I am your host, Michael Thayer, and in studio we have Chris Corvo from Midtown Title. And 
Seven things that you need to avoid when you apply for a mortgage or even before you apply for a mortgage. Seven things that you absolutely should not do when you're going to apply for a mortgage, period. Because you Some of these are going to be so – just – so basic to you and I, to you and I, but you'd be, you'd be amazed how many people don't think about the why or yes. or, or, or how or, or the repercussions of it. All right, you want us to take a shot at number one? I and, hope and, it's and, and and to the listeners, Chris has not even seen this list. Number one on the list, I'm shooting from my hip. Don't quit your job, bingo. Yes. Why does it matter if I quit my job is what I get asked at closing all the time. Don't change jobs or the way you're paid at your job. I, if I am giving you – lending you several hundred thousand dollars yep. based on your payment history and your job and how much money you make. Yep. Why would I give you money if you no longer have an ability to repay me that money? Even though you may get a job in another few weeks or a couple months or whatever, uh, you have to demonstrate that you can pay the house, pay me back my money. Well, I just changed jobs to a new industry and now I've got a new job and I'm making you know the same amount of money, but I'm in a new job. What's wrong with that, Mr. Chris? Yes, I know. Well – there's a lot of reasons that's wrong with that, um, and, and you know any change in circumstance like that is really bad. Yes, and it, it you know it it does not make people very happy. There's a lot of lending guidelines, and you can speak to this way more than I can about about what the guidelines are for that. But you have to demonstrate that you have stability in your job, yes. that you have that you have a, a continual uh, source of income coming in to help repay the loan. And that you are more than likely going to remain in the same industry making at least the same amount of money for the foreseeable future. Yeah. The quote-unquote, your loan loan officer must be able to track your source of income and the amount of your annual income if possible – uh, if you if and also if possible, you want to avoid changes in your salary as far as any decreases or any changes from salary to commissions. Because when you change from salaries to commissions, now all of a sudden, even though you may be in a position to make more money, your salary is is something that we can take and look at a pay stub and say, okay, you make. $30 an hour, $20 an hour, $10 an hour, whatever it may be, times X number of do- times X number of hours a week, and we can project that out. Well, now all of a sudden, we can no longer project that out because you just went to commission. And if you just changed to commission and we don't have a full year's worth of commission history, much less really the lending guidelines require us to have a two years complete commission or bonus history in order to average it out over a 24-month period, we can't project your income. So two things on that. How long does do you does a, does a mortgage company expect the person to be at their job or in that position? And then the second question, uh, go, what, what is the first answer for We've got to prove a two-year work history period. And then you've got to – if you're in commission income, you've got to have a documentable two-year commission uh, history. 
And if you receive bonus income, you got to have a two-year documentable bonus history as well in so, order to in order to use it, and it's averaged over that 24-month period. So I've seen people who have g- changed how they've gotten paid midstream yep. to the better. Yes. But it's changed how they got paid, and it's maybe an overtime deal now or – or a bonus deal or whatever. And even though they're making more money, yep. it's changed how they've gotten paid. And it's either uh, through, the, through the ratios out of whack um, as far as some sort of certain loan program that they may be on yep. um, to do that. So uh, so does that happen? Yeah. O- overtime is a good one, too. That That's where another one that trips people up where, hey, I'm making overtime now. Overtime again, unless you can prove that you've been receiving overtime over the last two years. And again, we have to go back and average it out over the last 24 months. So you may be receiving 500 bucks in overtime pay right now this month. But 24 months ago, you received nothing. 12 months ago, you received nothing. So on your application, you say, heck, yeah, I received 500 bucks a month in overtime pay. Well, when we go back and average it all out, you may only receive 75 bucks a month in overtime. Now when we actually plug that in and take that 500 down to 75 because now we've got a 24-month average – that might trigger that debt-to-income ratio or that qualifying problem. Okay. So that's where that problem comes into play. So don't change your jobs. And if you're counting overtime income, bonus income, commission income, you've got to look at it from a 24-month history in order to count that income. If you receive part-time income, part-time income, you have to have worked at that same job, no breaks, no Breaks. No seasonal work. No seasonal work, no nothing for 24 months in order to count part-time history. And that's the way the federal lending laws are written. So it, they, they make it really hard on part-time employment. Not the Michael Thayer lending that's laws. That's not my rules, unfortunately. That is the federal lending laws. So, And the other one that we see is switching from W-2 to self-employed. If you go from W-2, again, where you can project what your pay is going to be on your pay stubs to now you're receiving 1099 and you're paying your own taxes and you haven't filed your taxes yet, then there's no way to really know what you're going to pay at the end of the year because you haven't filed your taxes yet as a self-employed person and you now have the ability to write a bunch of your income off and reduce your tax liability. I had a client one time that worked at a job he's building a house and during construction. He had worked at his job fifth, like 15 years. And during the time of construction, which was about six or eight months, he ended up the, 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 his boss ended up retiring and ended up acquiring the business. Oh, man. So he was the <laughs> owner of the company, which was fantastic for him. Yeah. Guess what? Moving on up. He you know, became self-employed, and he did not have a two-year history. Yep. Couldn't do nothing. And there's nothing that could be nothing done about be done. it. Um, about it, so be conscious of that stuff. If you're if you're somebody who's thinking about buying a house, and, and maybe those thoughts are in your mind, and, and that's a really far fetched scenario. How many times does that typically happen? But it did. I, I about to say that scenario right there happens more often than you believe. I can't. I told. I I know of last year alone two different attorneys, specifically attorneys that left firms and went out and started their own sole practitioners. Yep. I mean, it happens. I mean, that scenario. He inherited his business or inherited the company that he worked for. That's unique. But so many people leave the businesses that they work for and start their own. And, I mean, it happens every day. Well, I'm out of guesses for number two. What you got? Uh, don't deposit cash into uh, your bank account. Yeah. 
you know, mattress money exists today. <laughs> it does. It's I get people well. ask all the time and say, hey, I'm going to bring cash because people are terrified of the banks. And I'm mm-hmm. going, no, you can't bring it. You know, first of all, anything you deposit over $9,999.99 has to get turned over. We have to sum- – you'd have to submit this information over to the IRS and the and the feds. It's and, flagged. And, and it's flagged uh, for a large deposits. And some banks have overlays beyond that. Like one of our banks, if you deposit more than five grand, they're, they're, they're yeah. right. Writing it up, so uh, so yeah. So you, if you're a family family who doesn't believe in banks or has a lot of mattress money, or or maybe you're just a very cash heavy business, uh, first of all, you cannot bring that to closing. There's <laughs> people say, man, how do you how do you handle all that money for for closings? I don't I, see see money. It's not like people bring uh-huh. sacks of cash in and throw it on the table. You know, it's all electronically wired, moved yep. around. We yep. very rarely take checks. We certainly don't like to take cash. Nope. Um, to do that, and you guys got to be able to verify that that money's in somebody's account, so they can't go make a yeah. make a fifty thousand dollar deposit. Money has to be in your account at least sixty days. It has to be what's called sourced and seasoned. Sourced is it has to be in a financial institution that has a bank statement. Seasoned, it has to be in there for at least sixty days. So that means I have to have two months worth of bank statements to show that that money has been in your account. So sourced bank statement from a financial institution, seasoned sixty days. That's the way it's got to be shown. So if you've got cash, you need to put it in the bank at least 60 to 90 days before you even think about starting the mortgage process. And if you got a family member that's going to – mom or dad that's going to help you with the down payment, you can do that. They just can't give you the cash and go deposit it in. Yep. You have to go um, through the process with the mortgage company for gift funds. Yep, and that's completely fine as well. Uh, number three, don't make any large purchases like a new car or furniture or four-year home. Wait until you purchase the house. Oh, then man. go do that. Oh, man. That does happen. Yes, it does. <laughs> People get that new house, they got to get furniture in it. So uh, they want to go out and light it up and and uh, maybe get that new car or whatever. But, but Let me tell we, you what happens there. We, we, yeah. We pull your credit. And you go out and apply for credit, it pops up a little alert. It's almost – I don't want to describe it as Big Brother, but just think of it as Big Brother. It it will pop up an alert. And at the end, right before we get ready to close, we do two things, two primary things. One, we do a soft pull that tells us again, aligns all the alerts. We know exactly what's been – what you pulled credit on or what you had your credit pulled on. And we also do another verification of employment with all of our other verifications. So we know that you are employed and we know all the credit inquiries that have been done since our initial credit pull. And if you've done any kind of shopping or you've taken out any new loans or debts, we'll have to prove and show exactly what it is. If you've taken out a new car loan, you'll have to submit that car loan. You'll have to submit the payments. We'll have to re-underwrite the file. And if it blows the file up as far as your debt-to-income ratio, the loan's dead. Yep. Even if you have some sort of delayed payment or cash option. Doesn't matter. All right. Uh, they just told us one minute, so we're going to go through the last ones real quick. Don't co-sign for anybody. Same reasons why you don't want to make any large purchases, regardless if you're not making the payment or not. If you co-sign, you're equally ob- obligated to the debt. Don't change your bank accounts because you've got to connect the dots. We've got to be able to link everything together to source the funds to show where your funds are coming from closing, and you're just going to create more paperwork for yourself if you change bank accounts. Don't apply for any new credit. Same thing. is just don't don't open up any new credit accounts or anything. And then don't close any credit accounts. When you close credit accounts, you're closing your credit history. You're killing your credit history. Your credit is based on the depth of your credit. And when you close your credit accounts out, you're closing your credit history out. So that's all for us today. Uh, you've been listening to the Money Man, Man Mike show here on uh, 98.3 and 1510 WLAC. Check us out online at moneymanmike.net and Facebook at Money Man Mike Radio. We're out. Gotta get